The Start On Demand. On Demand. The Winnipeg Whiteout street parties are making their return. What did we like about them last year and what didn't we like? The carbon tax kicks in today and as of early Monday morning, the price at the pump was already on the way up. Is there yet another version of events in the SNC-Lavalin controversy? New audio from Jody Wilson-Raybould would suggest maybe. Premier Brian Pallister drops another recent hint will be going to the provincial polls way earlier than expected. And what do you do if you go to Ikea and can't escape for two and a half hours? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, April 1st podcast for The Start. Are you ready? To party. Sound from the win- the streets of Winnipeg. For about a month last year, was it? Felt like it was like many months. Yeah. It was almost six weeks. I think it was. I was thinking that uh, this morning. Sorry, I like listening to this because I was watching the crowd and I that was my favorite part last year. If you couldn't be at the game, like all the faces as they lost their minds like these men and women are doing in this audio here but yeah it was a good six weeks it was by the end i was tired i think i think a lot of fans were tired i think a lot of fans were ready for the playoffs to be over as excited as everyone was it was exhausting Mm. hockey every other night from about the 11th of april till the 20th of may it was a ton of commitment it was a ton of energy expelled not to mention the money and the alcohol consumed but the uh, the entire amount of time invested was enormous for this community and I think we loved it but I think we ran out of steam yeah. I think we ran out of gas well, it was by hard. the time May long weekend rolled around people were ready to go to the cottage I I think that that would be different the next time around because you know what to expect but when you have never done this the last time the Jets played into May long weekend was 1979 mm-hmm. when wow. they won the Avco Cup they the, the Jets when the first rendition of the Jets were were here uh, up until 1996 they had never played a game in May Never played a game in May. Which is why I think last year it was challenging for both people, like fans, because you just didn't know how to plan your week accordingly because you didn't want to miss out. So you're like, well, I got to get to this downtown party or I got to have friends over or I have to watch the game because what if this is the only game? What if this is the only series? And then it went to the next series and the next. So I think it was hard on fans, but I also think it was challenging for organizers because they didn't know what to expect, right? So some nights they had 15,000. I think at one night at the peak, it was 25,000. They got as low as 9,000 fans down there on the streets. And so they were trying to manage the people. And then they were trying to manage staffing those parties, which is why they introduced that ticketing system last year, which we've already had one listener write in to say that they didn't like that ticket option because they'd rather it be a spur of the moment thing to decide whether or not you're going to go to the street party. But I can appreciate where True North was coming from because how do you plan for police and security and vendors and selling beer if you don't have a sense of, am I going to see 3,000 or 15,000? So the difference this year is they have True North Square. It's done. But you were saying, Greg, it fits three to 4,000 people? Three to 4,000 people. So and they're so still going to have to close some streets. 
Uh, well, you would suspect so, right? Uh, if last year's any indication, that'll be, uh, in my mind, the epicenter of what's going on. And, and they'll certainly have at least one of the screens there. I think at one point they had five different viewing areas, mm-hmm. giant screens uh, in the area around Bell MTS Place last year. So this year... They just might be shifting things and and where things are focused somewhat a little bit to the south and to the west of Bell MTS Place, whereas Donald Street was sort of the epicenter, the Great White Way, if you like. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the details. I don't suspect they'll eliminate the ticket ticketing as unpopular as it was. They need to have an idea of how many people are coming to the party. The announcement is being made at 10 o'clock this morning, the Winnipeg Whiteout Street Party Launch. Economic Development Winnipeg holding a news conference. We're excited to find out the details that will come out of that. But to tee that up, we have with us someone from downtown Winnipeg biz, Tinica Bauskolioma joins us live on 680 CJOB. Tinica, good morning to you. Good morning. Happy Monday. (laughs) Yes, it's going to be an exciting day. We're waiting to hear what kind of details we'll get from uh, True North and Economic Development Winnipeg when it comes to how these parties will go. Do you have a preference yourself as the downtown biz about how how you'd like to see them happening, the ticketing system or otherwise? Um, We're just looking forward to a great opportunity to bring folks downtown. So as many people that we can get in a safe environment where they can enjoy the experience together, that's what we're looking for. You know, uh, Tinica, I I think the perception has been that there were very few problems with regard to hosting these parties last last spring. Was that your experience and the feedback you were getting as well from business owners and otherwise that it was it, it was pretty much all upside on these celebrations? Yeah, for the most part, everything was positive, which we really appreciated. Uh, we surveyed our members after, and for the majority of them, the Whiteout Street parties were fantastic for them in terms of bringing new business and additional business into their establishments, which is great. We saw it as an opportunity to welcome the whole city to our downtown, and a lot of folks came down who maybe haven't been downtown in a while. So it was really nice to see everyone celebrating together, um, visiting the establishments. You know, if their the street party was full and they, you know, didn't want to hang out outside, they could go into a local uh, restaurant or pub and and watch the game there amongst friends as well. So it was, from our opinion, really, really great and and well-organized as well. A lot of businesses rely, a lot of retail, for example, rely on Christmas, the holiday season, for their big sort of business of the year. And could these whiteout parties kind of end up having a similar effect on a number of businesses downtown where you've got suddenly this mass congregation of people downtown on an annual basis? I I definitely think so. And even if folks aren't shopping on those days, then they're at least seeing the businesses and they may choose to come back and, and, you know, (laughs) visit them on another day. So it's great exposure for our businesses, even if they're not seeing it on that exact day. But in the end, I think it's a win-win. Was there any concerns along the way? I mean, we've been talking a lot this year about crime and the concerns that people have with, you know, rise in meth use and and that in our city. Uh, Any talk or anything from your perspective that would have you say, okay, we maybe need to do a few things differently if we're going to keep going with the safest possible environment, given that other side, the darker side of things that can emerge at night? 
I definitely feel like there's power in numbers. So we've seen different events like Nuit Blanche and the Whiteout Street parties. When there's a massive amount of people, it actually makes people feel safer, um, and people are safer. And we also have a huge presence and great partnership with the Winnipeg Police Service, our downtown Winnipeg Biz Watch um, ambassadors, and also the cadets, and, and just lots of different partners with True North uh, Sports and Entertainment security team as well. So it is safe out here. Um, there's a lot of emphasis put onto that. For sure, there are some challenges throughout the whole city, of course, but um, for the most part, we've had really good experiences with that. I I think that this is an opportunity for people to see the city from a different point of view as well. It's not often you get to walk down Donald (laughs) Street or walk down St. Mary Avenue and, and to take a look at what's going on or down Graham and to get that different perspective either of the of the skyline or the different businesses that are around because you're on foot now. You're moving slower versus just driving through, which so many of us do uh, all too often in my in my view. That's such a good point. You're so right there. And there's so much change happening downtown. You know, with True North Square being open this year for the Whiteout Street parties, that's brand new. And there's a lot of development right around that that whole area that the parties are going to take place. So to have that up close and personal view of it is exciting. Yeah, I actually just took a tour of True North Square yesterday. I mean, just a quick one. I was walking through the neighborhood and stopped and looked up and went, ooh, that's pretty. <laughs> you have a great photo of Instagram from True North Square. I saw that. <laughs> that's right. I I put one up there, and I quite enjoyed that. So, uh, But do you think... Will moving the the sort of the center of the party to True North Square, is there any sort of concern that that might ruin a good thing, so to speak? Because last year was so good, but now it's going to be different. Uh, I think you'll still see a lot of the activities taking place on the streets around. True North Square will just add to it in a really positive way. Um, They're going to have the TVs up there, and it'll be a really fun viewing area. But I think that the street party atmosphere will still be a big part of this year's experience. We talk a lot about the economic spinoff. Was a dollar figure ever put on or put out there from businesses in the downtown area in terms of what they saw or benefited from with the wet-out parties last year? Um, We got some information from some of our businesses, and we definitely saw an increase in a lot of them, Um, but we don't have an official figure that the downtown Winnipeg biz has anyways. So so collectively, you would say that the downtown Winnipeg biz is all in favor of what is planned, even though we don't know the details as of this moment. Uh, This is is all all positive in in terms of the views of downtown Winnipeg biz. We definitely feel there's a lot of positives around the Whiteout Street parties and with our Jets making the playoffs, of course. <laughs> All right, Tinica Bauskolioma joining us live on 680 CJOB from downtown Winnipeg Biz. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Have a great day and go Jets go. Go Jets go indeed. Tinica joining us live on 680 CJOB. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forte, Kelly Moore. On Saturday... I went to Ikea. Things never said while assembling Ikea items. Babe, could you pass me the instructions? Thanks. I'm glad you're helping. Alrighty, let's get stuck into the next one. Hand me that flat pack. Wow, look at you go. Where'd you learn all this? That obviously goes in there. Runny had a schedule. Nice. Mm -hmm. Looks just like it does in the picture. Oh, this is fun. That guy in the store was spot on. Yeah. Oh, it took five minutes. You know, I think the Allen key may be my favourite tool. Why'd we only buy one of these? Well, that must be it. Nothing left in the bag. Done. 
Things that never get said while assembling <laughs> IKEA. Items. That was my thought exactly. Wow, this is a very good compilation of things you will never ever hear when purchasing or assembling IKEA items. I, although, to be fair, a few years ago I put together a TV stand for IKEA and I followed the instructions and and it, they made sense and it was fun. I actually yeah, enjoyed it. it did you point. follow them the like from the get go yep, yep. or after things did not no. go as you anticipated? Right from the start. Oh, see, that's that's a smart guy right there. But that's because I learned from my mistake because the last time I tried to put furniture together wasn't from Ikea. We tried to just wing it and it was a disaster. So It's like Lego. It's like when the kids pull out a Lego piece or set, I'm like I feel like I'm at Ikea right now. Trying to really? piece this together. So I go to Ikea Saturday and my girlfriend wants to go to Ikea and she was, I knew she had been thinking of stuff to, to put in the apartment and uh, she says, let's go to Ikea. It'll be fun. We'll have a date at Ikea. And I thought, oh, okay, Ikea's a neat store. I haven't been there. I've only been there twice since it opened and when was that, Greg? November 28th, 2012. So it's been a while that they've been here in Winnipeg, and it's only been a couple of times. So we went there at 11 a.m. on Saturday. We were both hangry at that point, so we ate first. I had some of the, the meatballs I've never eaten at Ikea, so that was that was fun. I had some mac and cheese, and then we, we had some food in our stomach, and we were ready for the adventure. But I figured she knew that she was looking for specific-ish things for the apartment. I thought maybe we'll be there an hour. I was wrong. We instead investigated every nook and cranny of that gargantuan store, and we were there for two and a half hours. And here's the thing, and I don't, right off the gate, I don't want to make it sound like I am complaining. It's my fault. I did not prepare myself. I had forgotten how big that store is. I forgot about the, like, when, once you get through the main hall, then you've got that second hall you have to go through, and then there's the warehouse. And by the time we got to the warehouse, I said, here's $20 for the item I want. I got to get out of this store. I, I was suffocating. It was, it was just too long. My back was sore from, the, from walking slowly and standing <laughs> around. I just needed to get out. So I need help. How do I prepare myself for a long shopping trip so I'm not such a grumpy bear when my girlfriend's trying to enjoy herself? Bring I a think, book? Video I th- games? I think our, don't go. I think our listener Ryan has it pegged perfectly, but why don't we start with Kelly? I usually uh, just take a crossword uh, puzzle and go find a seat somewhere and just say, text me when you're done. Like Stanley yeah. in the office always has oh, the, the crossword cross- <laughs> puzzle. <laughs> yeah, and then if I get really bored, I just go down to where they have the ice cream and the 25-cent hot dogs. 25-cent hot dogs? Yeah, it's either 25 or 50 cents. I can't remember which. It's been a while since I uh, went to Ikea. But oh yeah, when God. you get... See, that's the thing, Brett. I mean, what you have to do is, if we just get through the warehouse and the checkout, the hot dogs and the ice cream, and they've got <laughs> incredible cinnamon sticky buns there, too. Wow. They're well, just Kelly's on the got, other like, side. a whole strategy. How, many, how often are you going to Ikea? Oh, I, we used to go all the time. It just... I. I can't remember the last time I uh, was down in the Keniston area. Mm-hmm. It just it's not an area I like to be in. Well, that's the problem with some of the shopping. By the time you get to the store, you're already frustrated with parking yeah, with and the, all the driving. driving. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that parking lot in itself is somewhat like a labyrinth just trying to yeah. get into it. So it, it really does feel like a full-blown But anyway, there excursion. are targets. There is a pot of hot dogs and ice cream and sticky buns at the end of the rainbow when <laughs> I, you get through. I should have just gone right to that next time because she's yeah, now saying... Know. Now that I have gone through the store, we have to go back. We have to go back, Jeff. We have to go back. Jeez. I don't like it. I don't either. I don't go. To, my girlfriend doesn't like shopping either. So oh. when we, we do go quite a bit, but we know exactly what we're looking for. We run in and get the one thing and we're done. So I guess then. And we go at, like right before they close and it's a, wherever we're mm-hmm. going. And they're usually really empty. So that's a good To time. any store. You're not yeah, talking yeah. just Ikea. No, we don't. Do We only go there to eat. 
Like, what about what about the grocery store, Greg? When you go grocery shopping, do you go in with a list and you know where the stuff is, or even if you don't know, you kind of know ish where to look? Yeah, I'm very much a targeted shopper. I know exactly what I want. When it comes to groceries, I go, I get it. I'll pick up the odd thing, but I will not go out of my way. I don't do the up and down the aisle thing and see, let's, let's see what we can find today. No, I know exactly what I want. And that's how yeah. I shop generally is that I'm very targeted. I don't necessarily know what I want, but I know when I'll see it, if I like it or not. And uh, that's just always worked for me. Uh, I am the antithesis of, of my wife, who likes to go shopping as a recreation or as a sport. Same here. And I think it's great for her. But And, and we go together sometimes, but I have to have my Timmy's. I have to have my tea, and I have to have certain, certain accoutrements and options when we're doing this. Uh, you know, if I want to sit for a bit and send you off on your way, you're cool with that? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, but uh, very much a focused shopper. Okay, so maybe so maybe, that's the, the thing then. I guess I just need to communicate. Listen, there might be a point where I need to duck away for a few minutes and yeah. just compose myself. There are some great clothing stores in Las Vegas. They've got this figured out where they've got chairs and they've got tables with magazines and the newspaper. And in fact, I think it's a great business strategy because I'll just sit and hang out, buy what you want, spend as much money and time as you as you like. I'm reading my newspaper. Mm. Lots of text messages so far. Thank you so much for the suggestions. Keep them coming. You've got to read Ryan's. you got to read Ryan's. Ryan, we didn't read Ryan's? Ryan, Did not. Ryan says, Brett, how to survive a long trip to Ikea. Walk up to the doors, turn right, go across the parking lot to Cabela's. <laughs> <laughs> It's not an April Fool's joke at the pump, though. That it is not. We are already seeing prices jump at the pumps uh, higher than they were yesterday. And many of uh, many of you telling us that you're seeing that in your neck of the woods. The average price yesterday was about $114, $115, now closer to $1.20. We're not alone. People in Ontario, Saskatchewan, and New Brunswick paying more for gasoline and, and heating fuel starting today. That is as the federal government's carbon tax begins... In provinces that refuse to impose their own emissions pricing. Here's Global's Ross Lord with a tutorial and some reaction. For millions of Canadians, that powerless feeling at the gas pump is about to get worse. Don't like it at all. Not a bit. Because who wants to pay more in taxes? We already pay way too much. They'll be chipping in extra money because their four provinces are defying the federal government's carbon tax. The tax is aimed at discouraging emissions that contribute to climate change. What can we do if the tax is there, we'll pay it? I have to pay rent, pay for food, and add that up to uh, gas. It, it's a really, it's a lot. Just have to work harder to uh, maintain or start carpooling, looking for other options. People in New Brunswick, Ontario, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan will feel the full effect of the carbon tax. The price increases start at 4.4 cents a litre for gasoline. They add about 4 cents to a cubic metre of natural gas. The cost of aviation fuel, propane and butane are also going up. The federal tax is $20 a tonne for this year and is scheduled to increase by $10 a year until it reaches $50 a tonne in April of 2022. It's the 21st century. We know climate change is real. We know that one of the challenges we have is that pollution has been free. We need to put a price on it. The holdout premiers have been vocal in their criticism. 
An Ontario court is set to hear the Ford government's constitutional argument against the carbon tax in April. Saskatchewan is awaiting a decision in a similar court challenge. Another opponent, federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer, is taking a more direct approach. Scheer is robo-texting people in the holdout provinces, reminding them gas prices are going up and directing them to an anti-tax website. The conservative messages leave out another part of the federal policy, rebates, that the Prime Minister promises will make up for the higher pump prices. Which will more than cover, for the vast majority of families, uh, any extra expenses attached to uh, the new price on pollution. Staking out positions in the run-up to October's federal election, a campaign that's already full of controversy several months before it officially begins. Ross Lord, Global News. Halifax. So you've got some numbers here, Loren. You've been doing your homework on no, this. No, I, I didn't. Gasbuddy.com did the homework. But I think I was saying earlier that the problem is when they say, oh, it's going to cost you three cents more per liter or four cents more per liter, and then natural gas is per cubic foot of natural gas. Do you like, know what that even looks like? I don't like? even know what a, that is. I don't. So for your car, at least, Gasbuddy did some math. And if you drive a uh, 2.5 liter full four-cylinder SUV. Why you would, I don't know, but anyway. I'm trying to think that. I think most are six, but burning 60 liters of fuel a week will cost an estimated $3 per week. So that's if you go through the tank of gas basically a week, you're going to pay $3 more per week. If you drive that same car, say this summer to the White Shell, and we've got some camping reservation spots opening up this morning, well, it's going to cost you another two bucks. And if you take a trip from Winnipeg to Banff, you'll be spending $17 more for the trip there and back. Now, I will say this about if you're driving to Banff, it won't be the gas that outrages you and scares you. It will be the price of hotels in Banff. But that's, as an aside, <laughs> there's no carbon tax on hotels. This is very well, expensive in there's Banff. There's carbon tax on natural gas if those hotels pay natural gas. Who knows where well, you're going to see it, right? Well, certainly. But that'll be the sticker shock for you, <laughs> just so you're you're forewarned. Yeah, Lots of people complaining about this and, and wondering exactly exactly if it's going to change anybody's behavior or not, which is the stated goal is to have us thinking more about how much gasoline we're using. Is it enough to be a tipping point? Is it just enough to be a nuisance? What do you think about this? Uh, in order to make a, a change, does it actually need to be more? Uh, is it a ridiculous notion in the first place, considering we're going to be getting some of it back? Lots of questions around this carbon tax, which is why at least four provinces have said, you know what? We're not comfortable with this. And this is just the beginning, right? Because it's going to go up every single year until it gets to $50 a ton. Listener just texting now to say the only good thing about this is that it will be another nail in the PM's political coffin. We're going to talk more at 745 about the fallout from Jody Wilson-Raybould's telephone call that she recorded with one of Canada's top civil servants. And so, yeah, I think this will become a political thing for people rather than a push for change. We want to talk more about the carbon tax. We've been seeing prices at the pump going up this morning. We saw them at $1.14. McNabb stopped for gas. It was $1.14 for mm-hmm. you. Saved myself a sweet four and a half cents, Brett. Probably <laughs> on that 10 bucks I spent, probably eight cents I saved. So yeah. there. But they're going up to $1.19, $1.20, depending on where you are. And you can let us know what you're seeing. Text us 204 780 uh, because I'm sure a lot of people not happy about the carbon no. tax. And I'm not mocking that eight cents or 12 cents I no. saved because it certainly all adds up and I commute from out of town. So I've, I've already been thinking about just the added cost that will come because of the carbon tax. But I'm one of those people that had been or 
is on board with the idea of it in theory because I do like I like the idea that we should be doing something to reduce our carbon footprint. Is this though going to keep me from getting behind the wheel as much as I do? Am I going to drive less? Maybe fly less? What's it going to be? And so to tell us more on how we can maybe contribute or benefit from what's happening with this carbon tax interdiction, we're joined by Bethany Damon with the Green Action Center. Good morning, Bethany. Good morning. So that's one of the big things we hear from folks is that, okay, I don't mind this, but is it really going to make a difference when it comes to the environment and our overall efforts to reduce our carbon footprint? Do you really think taxing people and then giving them a rebate is going to have an impact? Um, personally, I'm not going to say whether I think this is the best option or not. I think a carbon tax is absolutely necessary. Um, I think there are multiple different ways of doing it. And is this the absolute perfect option? Maybe not, but it's it's a very, very crucial first step. And I think it really gets people thinking about the way in which they are consuming carbon and knowing exactly different areas that uh, that their actions are contributing to climate change. For a lot of folks that, that either uh, drive their vehicle for work in a delivery mode or uh, operational mode for different equipment, farmers, people who live out of town that uh, have to come into the city for doctor's appointments, etc. There isn't a lot of choice for those folks. And, and so I understand that maybe the, the rebate is designed to help some of those people. But I can tell you this, there's uh, one particular part of the metro area that my wife's been trying to convince me to move to. And the first thing I bring up outside of time, because there's two currencies in life, time and money, after I talk about the time that it will take up out of our lives, I very quickly try and calculate how much extra gasoline it would cost to move to one of these bedroom com- communities. And I, I quickly realize that it's not really going to save us any money on property tax. It's not really going to save us too much money in terms of buying a property or a home. There aren't a lot of advantages, and and the price of gasoline eats up those advantages pretty quickly. Yeah, I think one of the keys there is absolutely focusing on trying to drive as little as possible no matter where you're living there is definitely something to be said about being an urbanist living right in central Winnipeg because taking those sustainable modes of transportation such as cycling, walking or busing are much easier. Um, if you are living outside of, of Winnipeg or the central area of Winnipeg, a place that maybe busing is harder or maybe there's not even busing options available, looking at ways in which you can actually reduce the number of trips you're making, um, such as carpooling. So we actually, we we have worked um, at Green Action Center to design an app called Go Manitoba. And with this app, you can actually find people who are making the same commutes as you from point A to point B on a relatively similar schedule. And what you can do through carpooling is actually reducing the number of trips that you're making. So I'm not saying everyone moved to rural Manitoba. Um, I, I have a place there in my heart just because I did personally grow up in rural Manitoba. But now I much more identify as an urbanist, someone who can cycle everywhere, walk everywhere, bus everywhere. But I recognize that we can't all fit in in urban Winnipeg. And so there is a place for people who are living in rural communities or bedroom communities. Um, and then really what we are trying to encourage people to do is not doing those single occupant trips 
um, as much as you currently are. Trying to find people so you can pair up your, pair up your errands, do things together. Um, find sources that are available right locally for your grocery shopping, for, for your appointments, and then for those trips you need to make into Winnipeg, such as maybe, um, maybe going to a job or whatever the case may be. Trying to, trying to find someone else who's making that same trip because you're cutting down, even with one other person, you're cutting costs and cutting your carbon emissions in half simply by finding one other person to go with. But what about for those who just simply can't cut their trips back? For example, we got a text message uh, from Tim earlier at 204-780-6868 saying, who's going to go grocery shop- shopping with the family on the bus instead of the car if that family owns a car? Who's Sorry, can you repeat that, please? So if, you, if you got the question is, if you've got a car in your family, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to reduce your the number of trips you're taking, but if you've got kids, you got to go grocery shopping, you're not going to pile them all onto a bus, you're still going to go in the car business as usual. So for those people who can't reduce the number of trips they're taking in the car... Uh, what are they supposed to do? I think it's trying to find creative solutions. Maybe you can bring your kids to a neighbor's house. Maybe you can maybe you can try and combine a trip. It, they'll give you your their grocery list, and you can maybe do it for them. I think the the thing that confuses me about that question is um, like, is this a rural person or someone living in the city? And the, if this is someone living in the city, you absolutely can take your kids on the bus. I see kids on the bus all the time, and maybe it's a little more stressful than going on the bus by yourself. Um, but people are absolutely finding creative solutions. I know a family who's extremely committed to living a reduced carbon lifestyle. They have three kids and they don't have, they don't own a car. They bring their kids around on the bus with them. They bring their kids cycling with them. They bring them in a bike trailer or once they're old enough, they're, they're biking by themselves. It's about finding creative solutions. And I think that Absolutely, we realize that um, climate change is an inconvenience, um, but trying to mitigate um, mitigate the impacts of climate change are ultimately going to be worth it as we look at our long-term convenience and the, the way that we're going to face the reality of the impacts of climate change. All right, Bethany Damon with the Green Action Center joining us live on CJOB. Bethany, thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. Thank you. Good times to come as well for soccer fans in our great city. Valor FC kicking off its inaugural season. We couldn't be more excited. Uh, are you a big soccer person or a football person? Uh, footy? McNabb? I'm a footy person, yeah. I, I know. No, I love playing soccer. I don't know if I would say I'm a good person in terms of an expert level, but I like watching it. I like playing it. Kids love playing it. My kids have like... Four different teams that they we have in the town that we're in. It's super, super popular. So we're excited to uh, get this season going. I know it'll be good for them to see a professional soccer team, have something to aspire to, and to tell us more about what's on the agenda this week. Michelle Lissell with, uh, I almost said Toronto FC, because you Whoa, once worked, yes, you once worked for I Toronto did. FC. Yeah, I did many, uh, many moons ago. What a great experience that was. But yeah, now uh, with Valor FC, and we are entering our fifth week of training camp, so things are well underway, and this week is a big one for us because, uh, of course, everyone 
uh, was waiting for the schedule to come out, and now the jerseys will be released this week. So everyone's been dying to see what they look like, and you have a chance to see them. So Thursday, April the 4th, at the TYC Event Centre over here at Canadens Polo Park, we're doing a fashion show. Now, this is a league-wide initiative. It's kind of cool. So uh, we will be showing a live feed of a fashion show that's originating in Toronto. So all seven teams from across Canada. Uh, we've all got players, our own players involved, and they'll be modeled the kit as it is so the jersey so everyone's having a party across Canada and that's the first time you'll be able to see the jersey and what it looks like and we will have all all the players there all the staff will be there you can come meet them uh, season ticket holders that's the big thing for them is you can come pick up your season tickets uh, if you don't have tickets you'll be able to buy single match tickets mm-hmm. which will be going on sale which people have been wanting mini packs all the rest of it so it's an all ages event we invite everybody to come down it's going to be uh, we're looking forward to it every Everyone's really excited to see what they look like. Have you seen them? I have seen them. And how many do you already now have in your closet? <laughs> <laughs> I have none yet. Um, I I don't want to sound like a homer because they look really good, but I would say for sure top two or top three in the league. Well, Just really sharp. You hit it out of the park with the name. I've been on record as getting emotional when I heard mm. the name being so tied to the West End. You couldn't have a better coach and, mm-hmm. and Bob Bob Gale. He's yep. such a, an incredible now Manitoban. And what you guys did last week with taking the boys to the to the memorial at yep. the intersection of Valor Road and Sargent was so emotional, such a, a great move. Uh, people are going to have to get used to some of the different terminology though, right? Because, you know, you've got training sessions yeah. and, <laughs> match, and day, match day kit. and the kit. Yeah. So all these different things uh, we're going to have to get used to, but people are very, very excited mm-hmm. about this. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're a month away from our first game, which is a little bit scary. Sometimes keeps me up at night. Uh, May 1st is our first game on the road uh, in BC against uh, Pacific FC. And then May 4th is our home opener against mm-hmm. FC Edmonton. It's a Saturday at five. And we are hoping to, uh, you know, pack as many soccer fans as possible into investors. And we've been, you know, we've been getting out a little bit in the community. And as you mentioned, like Rob, our head coach and GM is uh, Rob Gale's fantastic at, uh, you know, drumming up excitement. And he is just such a passionate person about the sport. And, he, uh, you know, the whole team, you can't help but um, just want to live and breathe this every day as we get closer to it. He's such an inspiration to be around and work around and and that is showing in the community. We've got a lot of people that have uh, shown some interest and, you know, now the last sort of phase of being able to get those single match tickets are you know, is what people have been waiting for and now the jersey. So we're, we're getting really close to this thing being real and uh, it's very exciting. How many uh, players do you, uh, maybe not how many, but you mm-hmm. have many players that come from all parts mm-hmm. of the world, landing in Winnipeg in winter for their yeah. training sessions. Is that what we're yes, calling them? Yes. Training sessions. How are they? Uh, I mean, it's still kind of winter here. Oh, yeah. Them. I mean, uh, you know, we've got a couple of players that are, you know, from Chile or Colombia and... Um, they, you know, being outside on the field last week for the first time was a little bit of an eye-opener. Uh, Uruguay, a couple of players. So the, all the uh, Latino South American players were very much like, how, when's it going to warm up? <laughs> you know, it, this isn't going to be how it's like all the time. So it was eye-opening for them. But, uh, you know, they're embracing uh, everything about the city and they want to get to know it. And they've been getting out and about and trying different restaurants and heading to the Forks. So they had one of the uh, one of the players from Chile throwing curling rocks. So uh, the other <laughs> right players on. are doing a great job of, you know, showing them all what Winnipeg has to offer. And they're just really excited to get going and uh, meeting all the fans as well. 
you talked about the different words. Sorry, uh, match kit. Is that yeah. just soccer language or football yeah. language? That's not from like, you know, when you go to England and you have to suddenly say mobile and right. um, rent my flat and all that. Is it an English thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's pretty both. widely accepted, though, throughout the world is kit is no one calls it a uniform or uh the, i mean jerseys you can use but uh you know even cleats or boots you know things like that runners or trainers like just different terms that's just very wild widely accepted in in football so we want to bring you know an authentic uh from everything from you know what we're calling games at the stadium to what we're doing you know for for game days and music and we want we want this to be authentic for people as well well and in terms of that authenticity it's the valor football club mm-hmm. uh, we know it colloquially as soccer because we yeah. already have canadian football but so when you refer to the team do you will you ever refer to it as a soccer team well because we also share the stadium with a football team it's confusing sometimes for people but um i mean i think rob does a good job he kind of uses both but that's his language is to call it football and we are valor football club so um the sport is soccer it is football it's what you like but we yeah i i guess if that's you know we, we sort of use that term more often for sure yeah. and if you if your kids are playing video games <clears throat> like my kids are and know all the english premier league teams and yeah. all the players this is the way mm-hmm. a lot of kids have fallen in love with this yeah, game it's is new to us, but i it think is. the next generation will know it so much better no yeah. question more kids play soccer then play hockey in mm-hmm. Canada. So there's a there's an untapped market. But they will know these these little idiosyncrasies yeah. in the language. Yeah. My boys don't call it a soccer game. Yeah. It's a match. They know yeah, the little them, yeah. The, yeah, the little terminologies yeah. and, and most of your kids will know them too. Mm-hmm. And they, I know the kids have got to be getting super excited as well. Yeah, and you know and now is a is a time for these kids that are, you know, playing soccer and you know they get to a certain age and now they have somewhere to aspire to play as well, right? And this is the hope for the league and for the teams is to give these kids somewhere to play as they continue throughout their career. Some, you know, go away, play at university, and then that's kind of it. So now there's, you know, another avenue for you to go down and you don't have to be far from home to do it. And I think people will be very surprised by the quality of the play and, and the players. I mean, we've had four weeks now together as a group and we're seeing some really great skills out there. We've got a wide range, age range of players from 19 up to 34. So, you know, we've got some, you know, young 20-year-olds in there and we're bringing in some guys with some experience. So I think people will be uh, really uh, excited by the play. How are you guys doing in terms of uh, corporate support uh, from the business community? Yeah, good. I mean, I'm really focusing on the on-field stuff at the moment. So I do know that uh, it's been very positive. We've been taking some players to some appearances already and getting out into the community. And we've had uh, various communities. Uh, The Chilean community last weekend invited our player and our coaches out to welcome these guys from different countries into the community. So, um, you know, we've been to the Jamaican Cultural Center already, Mm -hmm. too. So it's... It's things like this. I mean, it's such a multicultural game and, um, you know, people will be able to identify with, oh, wow, he's from, you know, my hometown in Colombia. Wow, that's cool that, you know, that he's here playing. So we're really happy with how the community has embraced us and everyone just is really looking forward to that first game on May the 4th. Website is valorfootball.com. 
FowlerFootballClub.com, the event this Thursday, April 4th at TYC Event Center. Doors open at 5.30 and the jersey unveil at 6.30 p.m. How do do you need to get tickets for this? No, no tickets. Just come on down. It's a cash bar and there will be some appetizers. So uh, bring your checkbook if you don't have your tickets yet and you can uh, get your tickets that night and see the jerseys and probably get some autographs too. Michelle Lissell is manager of public relations for Valor FC. The inaugural home match, May 4th versus FC Edmonton. Right there, you guys already have them on the name. What a boring name. <laughs> FC Edmonton. <laughs> They are just the football club and the name of this. And he's Edmonton name stinks. Did Any you just Edmonton say name stinks. <laughs> Oilers. What's an oiler? What is that? Come on. Change your football team Oil name to come on. Get with no, it. Like Get lost, Edmonton. <laughs> City of Champions. All the language things, they yell out, come on, instead of let's go. Yes. Are we going to be doing that? It's going to be come on FC well, that's or up come to the on. fans, you know, up to the supporters. Well, we what do you mean they say so, come on? What are you talking about? The, well, yes, my like, one and only English soccer experience was in Fulham in London, and it was come on, Fulham, as opposed to let's go, Fulham. Really? So I would like, if we're going to be authentic, it should be, come on, FC. Well, I can't do it without trying to be British. I'm and when, sorry. And yeah. when Valor FC is winning, do we sing God Save the Queen as well? I love that. When England starts singing God Save the Queen. when they, Oh, my goodness. I'm getting excited just I know thinking you are. about I love it. it. But we... Look right now at the SNC-Lavalin controversy. Loren, is there yet another version of events here? Well, I think we're just going to keep getting versions of events uh, as we go forward. So on Friday, the Ethics Committee released documents and audio submitted by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Days after she put that to the Ethics Committee, the Prime Minister's former Principal Secretary has come out to say, hey, I've got some documents I'd like to respond with. Gerald Butts tweeting yesterday that he has his own notes and text messages to share in response to the evidence filed last week by Wilson-Raybould. So as a reminder, she handed 43 pages of emails Friday, text messages, and a seven-minute audio clip of a secretly recorded telephone call between herself and Michael Wernick. The call took place on December 19th between her and the head of the Privy Council. Here's a chunk. He's not asking you to do anything appropriate or to interfere. He's asking you to I I know I have a tool under under the Prosecution Act that I can use. I do not believe it is appropriate to use it in this case. Okay. All right. I mean, then that's that's clear. Um, Well, I I mean, he's he's in a very firm mood about this, so... um, Does he understand the gravity of what this potentially could mean? This is not just about saving jobs. This is about interfering with one of our fundamental institutions. This is like breaching a constitutional principle of prosecutorial independence. So we can. Well, then nobody's explaining that to him, Michael. Wow. For the Prime Minister at any point to suggest he was unclear as to how Jody Wilson-Raybould felt about the situation would indicate one of two things. Either Mr. Wernick did not share or convey Which this is what conversation the Prime Minister has said. I to him, yeah. or he's, he's being willfully blind to the language used, because that is pretty emphatic. There is a clear line in Jody Wilson-Raybould's language there about how she feels, and the suggestion all along has sort of been, well, why didn't she come to us? Why didn't she say how she felt? She was pretty emphatic, and if she's recording conversations, she's clearly feeling uncomfortable with the situation as it was, and at that late date, based on the timeline 
headlines we've seen. This is pretty late in the entire process. And a lot of people reading into what did Wernick mean when he said, well, he's pretty firm on that. And was that then suggesting that she could have repercussions or her job could be on the line. So Bob Fife is the Global Mail's Ottawa Bureau Chief, and he's also one of the reporters who broke the SNC-Lavalin story back in February. Here's what he shared with the West Bloc on just how damaging that phone call could be to the Liberals. It's damaging to the Prime Minister because it's the Prime Minister who was the one who was threatening her. The clerk is very clear saying, he's in that kind of a mood. You don't want to get him upset. He wants this thing done. I've got, I've just talked to him. He wants this thing done. He wants a deferred prosecution. He wants a special deal for SNC-Lavalin. And uh, when she says, I, I don't want to do this because it's, it's, you're putting, you're in dangerous ground here for the prime minister because it is political interference in a criminal prosecution. And she says, she says, uh, he says, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go and tell him this, that you don't want to go along with this. And she says, well, I guess I've, I know when he doesn't like stuff, I guess, basically she says, I guess my future is on the line. And guess what? Her future was on the line because a few weeks later, she was dumped as attorney general. So the onus is not on the Liberal Party or on, on anybody else but the prime minister. He was the one who wanted this so badly. And he was willing to push his attorney general right near the over the edge, perhaps, of what they uh, of what you should properly do and try to get a, a special deal for SNC-Lavalin. Now, the prime minister has repeatedly denied he or anyone in his office did anything inappropriate or that Wilson-Raybould approached him with such concerns. Here again is Bob Fife. When it was first published on February the 7th, the prime minister, knowing what we know now, he was up to his neck in this sort of thing, comes out and says those allegations are completely false. And the, Mr. Lametti says, yes, they're false. And you asked him, or somebody asked him, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, the prime minister told me. Well, the prime minister hasn't been telling the truth. More at globalnews.ca. Start this half hour at the polls. Yeah, and I think we could be headed to the polls earlier than we think. At least that's what the premier is hinting at. So right now, the election under law is scheduled for October 6th. 2020. But on Friday, Brian Pallister told reporters he's heard from Manitobans that they don't want to go to the polls in 2020. Why, Greg? Because next year, we're also supposed to be celebrating Manitoba's 150th birthday. I've actually had a lot of Manitobans tell me they don't want us to combine political stuff with our party. So I've, I've heard from Manitobans already that they would prefer that 2020 be the year that we celebrate something other than politics, that we celebrate something that unites us, doesn't necessarily divide us. So I've certainly I'm getting that feedback from a lot of Manitobans already. So that they won an election not in 2020? Correct, yeah. 2019 would be the only alternative. It would. 2019 would be the only alternative, but he's not saying much more than that. He was asked if he had a date in mind, you know, mm-hmm. thrown out at him June, July, summer, fall. The premier would only say it wouldn't happen right away because we have a flood season to get through and that there are also several bills that he would like to see passed. But an election in 2020 is sounding less likely. There's no reason to have partisanship interfere with a a great party for our province. And uh, sure, partisan politics plays a role, obviously, but so do a lot of other things that really unite us in in, uh, being Manitoban. Are you you saying that you agree with those people who are telling you they don't want politics to mix with the 2020 celebrations? Well, look, some Manitobans uh, are of that view, and I'm hearing them. Uh, Others may not be. I'm sure I'll hear from them, too. How many Manitobans have gone up to him and said, oh, I really just, I think we need to do up this 150th right 
And so therefore, we can't possibly also talk about politics in the same 365 days. Well, first of all, I would ask for a list of people because you could probably write them all down. Uh, but joking aside, it's an interesting time and an interesting issue to be listening to Manitobans and what Manitobans want. Yeah. And I think the Manitobans also are going to have questions about how he can do this. I mean, we've got listeners right now saying, like, first of all, I thought there was a fixed election date. Sure. And aren't you supposed to have six months between provincial and federal elections? And that's technically true, too, with the fixed date. I'm not sure about what happens if he calls it early. And so according to law, that there's a clause that allows the legislature to be dissolved at any time by the lieutenant governor. And apparently Prime Minister Stephen Harper did this in 2008 when he pulled the trigger early uh, for an election in that year. But we've got calls out this morning to people who studied this stuff because I don't get it. I don't I don't know what the point is of having this date and organizing elections so they can be predictable and not just at the whim of any leader and and, and to, to know that he could call it early. And that's also OK. I'm, I'm not sure I understand what the what the point would be then of that law, not to mention the cost. I mean, elections are expensive. Well, we're going to have it anyway. Sure. So, but I'm just mean you have one four years, and you bring it in at three years, and you do one at two and a half years, and then at four years again. I mean, you're you're adding to the overall cost to the taxpayer too. Well, uh, obviously, this law was brought in for a reason. People were tired of the politicking and the idea of snap elections or governments that weren't doing their job extending as far as they possibly could their mandate in good taste. So there were two reasons to extremes for this legislation because people didn't like one or the other aspect of it. And one of the big complaints from the Manitoba Conservatives was the fact that when the NDP government raised the PST, they were supposed to go to the polls about this. There was legislation and then the Manitoba government of the day rigged and changed that legislation to suit their needs. And now here we are. It's all an interpretation. I think that's what we're learning about. A law is a law, but there are different interpretations to the law and and how it needs to be executed. So we're getting a a lesson in civics big time on this one. Listener just texting now for two things, because we were also talking about the carbon tax. She says gas is, or he says gas is 120 in Selkirk. And I'm betting a lot of Manitobans are only learning about our 150 (laughs) because Pallister brought it up, which I think is probably true. I do too. Yeah, I, I, I guilty as charged in that one. I didn't realize next year was one fifty. Darlene also saying gas in Steinbeck is a dollar twenty oh nine. So thank you for that feedback as well, uh, because we are curious to know how much the carbon tax is going to affect the price at the pump. Hopefully, you're able to fill up before. The tax took effect. McNabb stopped in just out of sheer curiosity to see if it would pop up on the bill. Didn't pop up on the bill, right? No, didn't, and it's not going to. But I don't know what I, I just, like I was saying, I, I wanted to pull in and just see if there was some sort of fanfare involved or an extra sticker. You know how they have the breakdown on some of the gas pumps? It'll show you where your yes, taxes go on the pie chart. So, like, this percentage goes to the federal government, this goes to the province, nothing goes to the city or whatever. They're going to have to print new stickers. New pie charts. New pie charts. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do with the old pie charts? How tasty is that pie? <laughs> The only fanfare I, I got when I went to a gas station uh, regarding a tax, this was a different one. This was, oh, I want to say six years ago. It was uh, when the, there was a the latest cigarette tax hike and it pushed the price of smokes up over 20 bucks for the premium brand. So your your Export A's and your Demoriers and things like that. And I was still smoking at the time and I... I Bought a pack of Export A, and the kid who handed me the smokes, he rang them up, and he he kind of put his head down. He said, "Oh my god!" 
<laughs> That'll be twenty fifty, please. I was the first person who would come in to buy smokes oh, that okay. day. Yeah. The, 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 the hike took effect that day, and he felt so guilty asking me for more than $20 for a pack of smokes. That was the last time I bought a pack of Export A's. I went down to the... Uh, the downgraded. I downgraded after that. I just couldn't justify it anymore. And I wonder if people are going to try to drive a little bit less now that the taxes are going up. Well, that's a suggestion. That's what the government that's in favor and then the MPs and everyone who's voted this in is suggesting is that, well, there is a tipping point for some people and they're trying to get us to that tipping point to have us think about, do I need to drive as much as I do? And that's that's the argument for a carbon tax is that there is a certain amount of money. At least that's the belief that will have you changing your habits. I don't know if 4.4 cents a liter is that tipping point, but you should Especially, be thanking. Oh, go ahead, Lorraine. Well, just because they're, it's absorbed and like you're not seeing that on your bill. So I almost think with these taxes, and I've thought that often when I've stood at the pumps and looked at that pie and been like, oh, wow, that's what really gets taxed. Like mm. that's how it works. But you don't pay attention to that. You just see that sticker price at the front. And I, I almost think it's more fair, A, to consumers, and B, if the goal is to get you to drive less, show me on every single tank that I have where my taxes are going. And then I might be like, oh, that just cost me an extra six bucks or whatever it is. Huh. Like then maybe I'll think twice. When it's all just rolled into one price, you're not stopping to think about where you're getting taxed and why. A dollar forty nine nine is the price of gas in Kitsilano this morning. And uh so it could be worse. Where is Kitsilano? In uh, Vancouver. My goodness. Could be worse indeed. Dollar twenty doesn't suddenly seem so bad. So next year. Well, speaking of calendars, did you know next year was Manitoba's one hundred and fiftieth birthday? Well, or? I could have figured it out, eighteen seventy, sure. but I, it certainly wasn't on my radar. I, I, I certainly wasn't planning a big celebration in the backyard or anything like well, that. Well, yeah, I think you should. I know Apparently. a lot of people have their eyes on whiteout celebrations and parties for this spring, and we're going to talk about that more as we go on as they as the True North unveils its plan for whiteout parties. But when it comes to Manitoba's birthday party, well, the Premier says he thinks that that is a reason why we potentially shouldn't go to the polls next year mm. when we have an election scheduled for October 2020, as it would put a damper on 150th celebrations. I've actually had a lot of Manitobans tell me they don't want us to combine political stuff with our party. So I've, I've heard from Manitobans already that they would prefer that 2020 be the year that we celebrate something other than politics, that we celebrate something that unites us, doesn't necessarily divide us. So I've certainly I'm getting that feedback from a lot of Manitobans already. So that they won an election not in 2020? Correct, yeah. 2019 would be the only alternative. It would. Okay, so again, the date is October 6, 2020. But as you just heard there, the only alternative would be 2019 to call the election. And that had listeners writing in to say, like, hang on, like, what is the point of a fixed election date if it's movable? Well, Royce Coop is with the University of Manitoba. He's a political analyst there. And uh, he explains kind of how you can get around it. Do you have fixed date election legislation in Manitoba? So if the premier is going to go before October 2020, he has to provide some reason and some rationale for why he uh, is not going to be respecting that legislation. But it could well be. He is uh, ahead of the NDP uh, in terms of popularity. They have more money. Uh, They have a lead 
in terms of the number of candidates that have been nominated. Uh, and recent changes to electoral finance laws give the Tories a little bit of an advantage. So there is a reason for him to go early. I think he does have to justify it. One part of those poll results that you mentioned uh, was that Wab Canoe uh, surprisingly has uh, better personal numbers, personal approval ratings than the Premier. So there is a potential soft spot there for the Tories that uh, Premier Pallister might want to uh, keep in mind if he's thinking about going early. And Royce Coop also says... I don't think that uh, the Tories need to go up early in order to win. I think that uh, going up early, especially because of the fact that we do have fixed state elections in this province, it might uh, backfire on the Premier. So if he wants to get re-elected... Uh, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be competitive, why he wouldn't be successful if he waits and uh, respects the legislation that we have. There's two things there. There has to be a reason. Yeah. So who I'm, I'm, who, who has to hear the reason? That's right. I still who have more questions. Who has to approve it? Yeah. So, so who does that need to be delivered to and who has to go, mm, that's a good enough reason for me. Is it the lieutenant governor? Uh, like who, who, who judges the reason as valid. Loren, do we know that? No, I think and so we'll have to make some more calls on that one. I don't know if it's someone at Elections Manitoba who can answer that or if it's really just a loophole that it is. In the Premier's mind, he said it all along that October 2020 is a drop dead date, not the date. And mm-hmm. so clearly someone's advising him that this is a go ahead that he can do it. And we know other politicians, Stephen Harper did it in 2008. The next thing that Roy said that I thought was interesting was, does he have to go and would it backfire on him to make this early call on on an excuse like a 150th celebration. No, not going to cost him politically. In fact, politically, he has every reason to do it. Never been more popular. The things that are happening right now in terms of what was released in the budget, people are feeling good more or less about the decisions that the that the provincial government is making. There are, of course, not everyone agreeing with the tact and, and the direction that this government is going with regard to spending on infrastructure, changes within the healthcare system. But we've seen the approval rating, we've seen the polls that would be very, very uh, politically prudent for this government to call an early election. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.